With training camp right around the corner, which defensive veterans could find themselves on the hot seat? Dallas Cooper and I are going to be breaking it all down on a special Saturday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for this special Saturday episode by my co-host Dallas Cooper. My apologies to our listeners. Normally we would have a Blue Friday episode, but I'm trying to get my backyard done before training camp, and well, that ended up going pretty late yesterday. So needless to say, we decided we'll do our show on Saturday, but we're still going to get you your content today. We're going to be talking about defensive veterans on the hot seat. We'll be looking at Colby Parkson and Daryl Taylor's 2022 seasons and what the former 2020 draft picks may have in store coming up this year for the Seahawks. As always, a special thanks to all the 12s for making Locked on Seahawks. Your first lesson five days a week. Let's get to the episode, shall we? Now for your lead story here on our Saturday edition of Locked On Seahawks. When you get to the beginning of training camp, of course, there's a lot of excitement about the incoming rookies, the newcomers in the case of Bobby Wagner, former players coming back to Seattle. There's always a lot of positive excitement, but at the same time, with all those free agents coming in, all the draft picks, the undrafted players that the team's excited about, That puts a lot of pressure on a handful of veteran players on offense and defense, even your special teams uh, aces, and it's no different this year. The Seahawks certainly have some players on the defensive side of the football who could be facing the hot seat here heading into training camp, players coming back. And, And Dallas, just to make sure our listeners understand this, it has to be a player that's been with the Seahawks for at least one season to be deemed a veteran. So, Without further ado, I'm going to give you the mic first, and we're each going to have two candidates. We'll dish out one at a time here. Who do you think has the biggest target on their back in terms of defensive hot seat for the Seahawks going into training camp? I'm going to say, to start off, a name that's probably going to catch some listeners off guard in the name of Trey Brown. And then my second name is John Radigan. But let me go back to Trey Brown and why I think he's on the hot seat. Now, Trey Brown in the 2021 to 2022 season showed tremendous growth. In those little short games and the short amount of weeks that he did play when healthy, he showed his ability to be opposite of, at the time, DJ Reed. But health has been a huge question mark since then, and his recovery has taken longer than expected. Now, this past season, he was expected to come back and fight for the cornerback spots yet the health wasn't there and he only got six games and most of those games he was rarely playing and got limited amount of snaps now you also look mike jackson played really well last season kobe bryant also showed tremendous growth as well he also drafted devon witherspoon and Tariq woolen is growing as your young superstar corner that's a lot of names in a talented secondary it's kind of hard to figure out where trey brown fits in at this point When you also factor in how young he is, another team could really be in on a trade, and that could be really good value for another team, and the Seahawks could be looking to capitalize on that with so many bodies in the cornerback room. 
I'll go and that's something we've talked about quite a bit on the show. Would Seattle trade one of these players from what they've got as a surplus at that position? And Mike Jackson has been the popular candidate, but maybe Trey Brown would be a player that a team would be willing to send a late round pick over for because he's still in his rookie contract. He's still got two years of eligibility. So I don't necessarily know that I would say he's on the hot seat, but you make some valid points there with all of the talent that Seattle has in the corner position. If he's not going to compete in the slot, there might not be a roster spot there for him because they might have that fifth corner spot go to somebody that's truly a special teams ace. So that does create an interesting discussion point. For me, I'm going to go with my own version of Trey Brown in the sense it's a player that has flashed when he's been healthy, but injuries have been a major problem. And Unlike Trey Brown, who is fully healthy right now, he's participating in their entire offseason program, Alton Robinson has not participated at all. He missed all of last season with a knee injury. And based on what Pete Carroll said in training camp when the injury happened, actually happened in a preseason game, it was a PCL injury. And it turns out that has been way more complicated than it sounded at the time. It sounded initially like the Seahawks thought they were going to get him back fairly quickly, and yet he missed the entire season. And now here we are. He had a surgery, an undisclosed surgery, to repair an injury. And Pete Carroll makes it sound like he and Brian Monet are the two that probably are not going to be back anytime soon. And so if Alton Robinson is not going to be healthy enough to play, I mean, maybe they end up just putting him on the pup list and just keeping him there, and then you maintain his club control. But I don't know that he's in a position where he's going to be able to contribute for this football team if he's not able to get back out there on the field, I mean, maybe by midseason they have another guy get banged up, they can bring him back into the mix and activate him if he's healthy. But to me, he is a player that's absolutely on the hot seat with Derek Hall now being out of this group that's got Boy Mafe, Daryl Taylor, who we'll be talking about more later, Uchenna Nuosu, and Tyreek Smith is a player to keep a very close eye on that also missed last season, but he is healthy right now. Alton Robinson is not, and Josh Oniogu last year showed in a couple of games that he played in. So I just listed off a lot of names, and that's always a major red flag when you are an on-the-bubble player, when you got that much competition. If you're not healthy and they are it's going to make things tricky. I'm curious about your thoughts on John Radigan, though, because he's another guy that had an injury, but he made it back last season played well in special teams, and yet there does seem to be a log jam now at that linebacker position. It's very interesting, Corbin, as linebacker going into the offseason was one of those spots where we were worried almost if they didn't have enough bodies at the position. And now with the signing of Bobby Wagner coming back to Seattle, you bring in a guy in Devin Bush. Vi Jones is even showing progress and even could potentially be another guy that they bring in as a potential special teams ace, especially because he's younger and more athletic than a guy like John Radigan. But with all those names being listed, that does put John Radigan in the hot seat, much like the names we've listed off prior. Just because of the amount of names at a specific position group, if you are showing signs of not being healthy, and then he did work back Radigan did work back last season, and he is a very good special teams player. But if you're not providing more than that and these other players with more potential, and especially some of them being younger, it's going to be interesting as the Seahawks could go that way, as those players do provide more value if they do hit in terms of potential. And that's just the whole thing with John Schneider. Who is he going to keep? And Radigan's a guy that is highly regarded by the coaching staff, and he's only in his third season, so it's not like he's an old linebacker, but Vi Jones is in his second year. He's a little younger player, and he is the better athlete of the two, so if you're 
more interested in his athletic ability. He was a great special teams player at NC State, blocked a bunch of field goals. I mean, there are some tangible things that he can do on that avenue that maybe John Radigan can't. Radigan's a great kick and punt coverage specialist, though, and Seattle's always looking for good players that can do that. But I think Jordan Brooks is the interesting one there because if Brooks is able to make it back, which it sounds like he's got a good chance now to be able to make it back at some point in training camp, if you've got a healthy Jordan Brooks in week one and you've got Bobby Wagner and you got Devin Bush, they might not keep any other linebackers on the roster. They might just keep those three, and then Nick Ballore could be your insurance guy because he has started games in that position. But I'm just curious how things are going to play out. But he's definitely somebody with the additions they've made that that I think is going to be in an interesting spot. And I think you can say the same thing about Joey Blunt, who was last year's undrafted darling that made the initial roster played in a bunch of games, was a really good special teams player, brought a lot of energy on that side of the ball. And at the same time, you drafted Jarek Reed in the sixth round. They are in love with this kid. Jonathan Sutherland's an undrafted rookie this year that kind of has Ryan Neal's skill set. And oh, by the way, Ryan Neal's now in Tampa Bay. So Seattle may be looking for another player like that. And Joey Blunt is not somebody that's going to be able to come up in the box consistently as a Ryan Neal or Jamal Adams type player. He's not going to be able to do that. He has enough versatility to occasionally play up near the line of scrimmage, but his game is predicated on playing deep. I'm just wondering if he could be a player that ends up getting forced out by some of these rookies coming in that have more versatility or checkoff box the Seahawks are looking for specifically. If Sutherland and Reed can both play equally well on special teams, that could put Joey Blunt in a position where he's one of those guys that sticks around for a year and then suddenly – oh, you're going to the practice squad, which has happened a few times for the Seahawks. So I don't know if he's on the right side of the wrong side of the bubble right now. I think he is squarely right on that line. He's going to have to battle to keep that job. And last year he showed he could do it, but he's got some really good competition that has come in now. And Julian Love being added too, a lot of this stuff could potentially squeeze Joey Blunt out. So even though he's just a one-year player, that's still technically a vet. And I think he is very much on the bubble right now heading towards training camp coming up next we are going to be taking a look at our forecast saturday menu i was trying to catch myself before you said forecast friday because that's where the series has been but we've got colby parkinson and later we've got daryl taylor on tap to 2020 draft picks we're going to revisit their previous season and what they've got coming up next for the seahawks in 2023 you're listening to the saturday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're preparing for a draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you players that are a guaranteed fit on your roster. So with draft prep underway for the upcoming season, let's see who Vinny has picked out for us in this week's eBay Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. When making the first overall pick in fantasy football drafts in 2023, 49ers running back Christian McCaffrey is a guaranteed fit. A healthy McCaffrey is guaranteed to see well more than 300 touches again in his first full season with the 49ers. He's the centerpiece of that offensive engine, and McCaffrey checks off all the boxes. Talent, usage, high floor, ceiling, he's got it all. Run with CMC as the guaranteed fit at number one for a smooth ride to another year of big numbers with eBay guaranteed fit and over 122 million parts and accessories for your vehicle right at your fingertips. You can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Air filters, brakes, batteries, taillights, alternators, shocks, struts, you name it, eBay Motors has it. 
and they'll make sure it's the right fit for your car because eBay Guaranteed Fit helps you understand exactly what part you need for your vehicle the first time. Go for it, switch gears, crank up the AC this summer, and say goodbye to sweating it out if your ride needs a little fixing up because now you know you'll always be set for success from the get-go. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, everything your vehicle is calling for is just a click away. For the parts and accessories that your vehicle needs, just look for the green check. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, you're listening to the Saturday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Alberta or you're listening in nearby Bellevue. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And coming up on Monday for Everydayers, we're going to continue our training camp preview, the interior offensive line, getting closer to the finish line there as we draw within a week of the start of training camp for the Seahawks. You won't want to miss it. Let's get to forecast Saturday. Normally, this is a Friday segment, but with us taking yesterday's show off, we're going to transition to forecast Saturday, special edition here. We've got a couple of 2020 draft picks, one going into the final year of his contract, the other one because he missed his entire rookie season, technically will be a restricted free agent next year, according to NFL rules, but still, it is a big season for Colby Parkinson as well as Daryl Taylor. Let's start on the offensive side of the football, Dallas, with Colby Parkinson. And going into last year, he was one of those players where it's, you know, we feel like this guy has a lot of upside, but he just can't stay healthy or he can't get in a rhythm because he misses a bunch of games. Foot injuries derailed his first two seasons. They finally had a healthy Colby Parkinson last year. And while he doesn't have numbers, they're going to pop off the page necessarily. There were some things that were really exciting from him last year, most notably the ability to create big catches. He averaged almost 13 yards per reception. And for me, the most important thing, this is not a glorified receiver anymore. This guy is an NFL blocking tight end, NFL caliber blocking tight end. Parkinson exceeded expectations last season. His blocking, as you just said, Corbin, wow. I did not expect that from Parkinson as the whole scouting report on him was that he was a really good wide receiver, especially at his size, but struggled with pad level, especially with run blocking. And wow, did he show out last season. If anything, oftentimes Parkinson was the one that the Seahawks were running behind if they were going on the outside runs, and he was the one making the key blocks, setting up these big, huge run plays. He's a huge tight end at six foot seven that's going to go over the middle and we knew that as if you knew Seattle football, you knew Parkinson has the ability to do that. What really in, was encouraging last season was the connection with Geno Smith. Even though it was Geno's first year starting, Parkinson had that immediate connection with Geno, especially over the middle, especially on those team routes as we talked about last time. And Parkinson at six foot seven is going to create mismatch problems. And Corbin, it's going to be a doozy for defenses to cover that. Defensive coordinators are going to have their hands on their heads trying to cover a six, seven tight end running up the seam. Well, they're hoping that Jackson Smith and Jig, but that that might be a player who benefits most from his arrival because now you got to worry about him in the middle of the field and his ability to win contested catches. And oh, by the way, now there's this athletic six, seven tight end going down the seam. And we get to see that on the touchdown he scored against the Broncos in week one. 
And quite frankly, that is not a throw that we saw Russell Wilson make very often. That's just not a strength in his game, throwing those deep seam routes. Geno Smith loves to make those throws, and it's a strength in his passing game palette. So, you know, it's interesting when you look, and we'll talk about projections here in a moment, but you look back at last season, it was not a perfect year for Colby Parkinson by any means. If there's one thing that stands out that I was disappointed about, I'm not going to blame him for this exactly. He didn't have a drop the single season or drop the whole year. This kid scored two touchdowns the entire year, and one of them was week one. And you would just like to see the Seahawks find a way to get him more involved in the red zone because it just doesn't seem like they were trying to find ways to get the football to him. That's a player you should be scheming inside the 20-yard line. With that size, with his athleticism, the soft hands that he brings to the table – so that was the one thing I could nitpick at last year. And there were a lot of games where he was not involved in the passing game. I believe he had nine games last year in the regular season where he caught one or fewer passes. So you want to see a little more consistency in terms of getting him involved, particularly in the red zone. But away from that, and again, I don't think a lot of that falls on him. You also got to account for the fact that they've got TK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So all these tight ends are going to have less targets to begin with. Now you got Jackson Smith and Jigba in there as well. But I still think inside the 20 that this guy should be a crucial target for Geno Smith. Get the football to him. Find ways, Shane Waldron, to scheme to get the ball to him. I thought everything else, though, the the blocking, the play that jumped out to me where I thought, you know what, this this is not a mirage. This kid really is an NFL caliber blocker now. The Chargers game, when Ken Walker III ripped off that 78-yard touchdown to put a dagger in the home team, That run was created. There was a nice block by Will Disley, but the block out of the move by Colby Parkinson, where he just completely turned the defender inside and Walker went off his backside. He's gone. That play, and I saw a couple other blocks that game that were nice, but at that point, it was like, that is a legitimate NFL tight end block. And you saw several other plays like that as the year progressed. He was very consistent. He got a high grade from PFF for whatever that's worth. So he really showed out last year as a blocker. And the the scary thing is I feel like he's just scratching the surface there. He's only been 265-plus pounds, really, for one season in the NFL. And he's had another healthy offseason. So the blocking stuff isn't always tangible in terms of stats, but that was something that was very noticeable last year. And going back to my point, when you're looking at this 2023 season, I don't know that there's going to be enough footballs to go around for Parkinson to get many more catches than he had last year in the mid-20s. In fact, I'd be surprised if he gets more than 35 catches this year just because there's not a lot of opportunities there for the tight ends. But where I do expect we're going to see that uptick Dallas has to be in the red zone, as I mentioned. Find ways to get the football to him. you got so many other weapons to distract the defense. A 6'7 tight end being a secondary target, or even in this case, uh, below that, maybe like your fourth or fifth option on the field any given snap, that should be a real problem for defenses when they have to worry about everyone else that Geno Smith could throw the football to. Absolutely. When going into the red zone, just his size is going to be a factor. As Seahawks fans saw with that little glimpse they got of Jimmy Graham, just the size that, that factors into the red zone, especially in tighter space, it's going to be huge for Geno Smith, and it's going to create windows that otherwise wouldn't be there. But as for projections for next year, the 28 catches, five touchdowns, as you said, there's not enough footballs to go around, especially with the amount of talent on the Seahawks offense in terms of weapons. You got DK Metcalf, you got Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith in the Jigba. 
then you're getting Kenneth Walker, and then you have Zach Charbonnet. There's a lot of people to make happy in this offense. But what, as you said, when it's coming into the red zone, not much people are are as much mismatch problems for defensive coordinators and defensive players as Kobe Parkinson is. He's one of the true mismatch problems on this team. Yeah, and I think that the height, you know, that's obviously the most notable thing. But I just look at the way the guy runs. He's such a fluid runner at that size. Not only ran in the four sevens, but that's still really athletic for a guy of his size. And the soft hands, you throw it in the area where he can get it, he can high point the football, he finds ways to get it done. So that's why I was disappointed there weren't more opportunities, especially late in the season. There was a lull there where the tight end just kind of felt like they weren't getting involved much. And I couldn't understand that with how effective these players can be. So maybe all that attention that the receivers are going to be drawing, maybe the tight ends will be a lot more productive than we are anticipating. But I do think that the issue of trying to get the football to all these playmakers they have, it's a good problem to have. But I feel like the tight ends are probably going to be the group that's most negatively impacted by that. But we'll see. Shane Waldron's coming from a foundation in L.A. where they like to get the tight ends to football. So maybe they keep with that this year. And Geno Smith seems to like throwing the tight ends as well. You're listening to a special Saturday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by Dallas Cooper for today's show. For our everydayers, we greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And on Monday, we'll be looking at the interior offensive line. And we are inside the top 10 of our 90-man countdown, the top 10 most important players for the Seahawks going into 2023 as we get closer to the end of that countdown. It's going to be a really fun episode. Make sure that you are listening in. Let's switch over to defense now, shall we, for our forecast Saturday. Another 2020 draft pick who has had a similar round in the sense that Kobe Parkinson was able to play in his first two years, but he missed a lot of games. Daryl Taylor missed his entire rookie year, recovering from a fractured fibula he suffered in his last season at Tennessee had six and a half sacks in his first full year. Last year, he gets nine and a half, and six and a half of those sacks Dallas came in the final eight games of the regular season. He was as good of a pass rusher in those last eight games as any player in the NFC. He was dominant, even with a lower snap percentage than he had in his first season playing for the Seahawks in 2021. He was finding ways to get out of the quarterback. The problem, of course, was, well, the problems. The first thing, he started off pretty darn slow opening the season, particularly in the run game, lost his starting job after week three. And it always goes back to that one big issue. Daryl Taylor has just been outright terrible most of the time defending the run. That's just a blunt assessment. There have been a few games where he's been able to make some plays, but more times than not, he's been that guy that teams have game planned to run against. And last year was obviously no different. And that's why he lost his starting job. The Seahawks could not afford to keep him out there as a starter playing 50 plus percent of the snaps because teams were exploiting those issues. And that's really the thing that's holding him back going into this third year with the team as a player, his fourth year with the team overall, he's got to find a way to at least be competent in that regard. And if he can, then it feels like the ceiling is through the clouds as a pass rusher with more opportunities. As you said, and that's going to be the biggest factor. Can he set the edge against the run? Now, Daryl Taylor, his biggest strength, as we, as we all know, is going to be his bend and his speed, his get off off the line of scrimmage his ability to just flat out run around offensive tackles and get to the quarterback ASAP. Now what that does put you up against is when you got to hold your gap against the run. 
his wins, a lot of his wins in terms of pass rushing come off of the snap and when his get-off is really elite and he's going to the outside. When you're going against the run, you can't do that, especially on first down. Now, going back to his lower snap count leading to more sacks, I think that's going to be what's going to happen in 2023. I don't really expect him to move back as a starter in 2023. I expect Derek Hall or Boya Mafe to move into that role as both of them proved that they were, or at least Boya Mafe last season proved that he could set the edge in the NFL and Derek Hall projects as a good edge setter in the NFL. Now, Daryl Taylor, I think he's going to have to really stay with his third down pass rushing. And I think Carroll's going to keep him at that. And that's what's going to be the factor. In those limited snap counts, he can play at 100%. He can go gas, uh, he can fool, like put the gas pedal. He can put the gas pedal to the floor. He doesn't have to worry about setting the, setting the edge. He doesn't have to worry about any of that. He can just go. And I think that's his best trait and that's what they need to let him do. Yes, and it's clear that sometimes less is more with some players like this, that when you give them the opportunities to play to their strengths, and in, in this case, that truly is his strength, is just getting off the football, getting after quarterbacks, using his speed, his quickness, his bend. And they were able to do that second half last year. But it just feels like when you have a player like this that I think can be at least a decent run defender, I feel like it is in there but they have not been able to get him to turn the corner in that regard and maybe lasting a little bit longer last year with him and trying to play through his lumps early in the year. Maybe that would have helped him in that regard, but the Seahawks are in the NFL. They're trying to win games. And with a guy that has played enough games in the NFL, played the entire year before, you're expecting progress and they weren't getting that. And so that's really the big wild card when we're looking at what Daryl Taylor is going to do in 2023 because he got nine and a half sacks last year mostly as a situational pass rusher. So we know that he can get big sack numbers, even with the limited snaps. But at the same time, he had a really high sack to quarterback pressure ratio last year. And that is not something that tends to stick year to year. He might be able to get a similar number of pressures, but only get five sacks out of it. So I feel like for him to surpass or even equal the numbers he had last year, He's going to have to find a way to get more pressure on quarterbacks. And how do you do that? You get more snaps. So that's really the issue. How many snaps are he going to play? Can he get enough snaps to get to nine and a half, 10 sacks and be able to get to that double digit sack threshold? Is he going to be able to do that with enough snaps? And so I'm a little bit on the gray area here in terms of where I think he's going to be as far as a starter. I do think it's between him and Boy Mafe right now. Derek Hall could certainly play his way into that as a rookie. Maybe he does start some games in his first season in the NFL. But we have to see what he does and where he fits in in training camp. Right now, I would think it's Mafe against Taylor. And from a pure talent standpoint, I would love to go with Daryl Taylor on this because of that explosiveness. But we have seen Boy Mafe from a football standpoint, be a better edge setter already. And that wasn't supposed to be a strength in his game. So it feels like that's truly one of those you could flip a coin and that might be your starter. And even if Daryl Taylor isn't the guy, we saw last year what he could do in that limited role and he got to nine and a half sacks. So I actually think that this is a double digit sack guy. I think he is a 14 or 15 sack guy if he's playing enough snaps, but we don't know if he's going to be able to do that. He's got to have the run defense get a lot better to get the opportunities to get that many sacks. But I actually think it's a pretty safe bet that this guy is going to get you at least the nine and a half he had last year, if not a little bit more than that, 
just because he's got a lot to be playing for. He's a restricted free agent next year. The Seahawks, they're going to be deciding whether they're going to pay him money. I mean, there's a lot of money on the line here for Daryl Taylor, and he needs to step his game up. So I think it's a safe bet to say he's going to be in that area from last year, if not find ways to get more sacks this season. I agree with you in terms of that projection. I think he's going to be around the same area in terms of sacks, even in pressures, even with the limited snap count. And going back to what I said earlier, I think it's because the Seahawks are going to allow him to just purely focus on rushing the passer. And I love that you pointed out about Boya Mafe showing that he could set the edge and he was arguably the best edge setter on the team last season, other than Chena Nuosu. That wasn't supposed to be his strength coming out of college. He was supposed to be another Daryl Taylor type where he's explosive, except Mafe is a little stronger and a little bigger where he had projects as more of a power rusher as well with the explosiveness. But the edge setting wasn't supposed to be the strength. And then last season, he showed that. That's a huge get if you're the Seahawks that a rookie was able to show his ability in edge setting. And normally for edge players, that's something that normally takes a lot more time than just the pure pass rushing. Edge setting does take time in terms of going against run schemes. And especially NFL offensive linemen, the size impact is normally the biggest adjustment. But Mafe handled it extremely well. It's going to be interesting to see from year one to year two, especially with Coach BT Jordan coming in, how he can develop Boye Mafe going into this season. Yeah, I think Jordan, he's somebody that isn't getting talked about enough. And I know that our listeners, we read your comments. There's been plenty of listeners that have pointed out that BT Jordan is going to be one of the big X factors that could make or break how good this edge rushing group is. And I feel like both these guys have room to grow in terms of their technique and pass rush plan, because Daryl Taylor has shown at times that he can win with power. He can catch guys off guard and turn that speed into a bull rush. He had a nasty one against the Colts in his first regular season game where he just bulldozed the tackle. There's more there than just him being an upfield guy. Now that's obviously his strength and you don't want to get away from that all the time, but you want to have a little bit more in your toolbox counter wise and so I feel like he's got some room to grow there. And Boye Mafe is much the same. He's more of that speed to power guy, but you'd like to see some ways for him to be able to win, you know, setting the shoulder, uh, playing to the shoulder. Let's get upfield a little bit. Let's find ways to do some rip moves, some swim moves. Let's utilize a long arm move. You want to see some more counters that are more fluid from him. And so both these guys have areas to improve. And I think Daryl Taylor at this point, we know what he is for the most part. The real question is, can you find a way to make him not be a complete flaw on your run defense and not be somebody that is, is going to be completely disregarded by the opponent? And that's what it felt like last year was the case early in the season. The Seahawks had no choice but to make a move there. So can he improve enough where he's no longer the guy that offenses are going to look at and say, okay, we are going to build our game plan around this guy, run it at him. And if you can get it to where that's no longer the case, that's a huge win for the Seahawks team. And it's a big win for Daryl Taylor because I think it gives him more confidence to play him a bit more and more snaps should mean more production, particularly in the pass rushing department. And that'd be a big thing for the Seahawks defense is looking for any playmakers they can add to improve upon that 25th overall scoring defense from a year ago. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Dallas at Dallas C. Cooper. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss 
a single episode. When Rob Rang and I return on Monday, the two of us will be looking at the interior offensive line, the guards and centers in our latest training camp preview, and we're going to the top 10 in our 90-man countdown. will be a jam-packed episode. Hope you'll be joining us. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and thanks for listening. Go Hawks.